0: If life is a game and you can go up to level 100, what is your current level? Hello friends, and welcome to a new interviews of a series with key leaders and key opinion leaders in our industry, web three, gaming, metaverse, and guilds. Today, I am interviewing uh, Ilya, with a common face, you know, in our programs, in our show, The Tavern. He's been a regular uh, a guild leader or judge in, uh, in The Tavern. So probably you know him already. He is uh, a partner at Sanctor Capital. Uh, Sanctor Capital is an investor uh, in the crypto sphere and especially in crypto uh, Web3 Gaming. Uh, so we'll learn more about what they do, what they invest in, what they're excited about for this year to come. Uh, before all of that, my very first uh, question is, who are you? Who is Ilya? Uh,
1: well, hello, Jeremy, and, and thank you for having me here. Uh, I really really like what you guys are building with, with, within the space of the community and how you're bringing everybody together. Uh, my name is Ilya. Um, as, as you said, uh, I'm one of the co-founders and partners at Sanctur Capital. Before we go further, I do have to say... Uh, everything I mm-hmm. say here, none of it's financial legal advice. All of the opinions are my own. You may hear names of companies that we or I have invested in, have positions in, or may have positions in the future. But uh, all that aside, um, you know, I, I like to think of myself, you know, as as a as a participant, as a member in the space. I think that one of the most exciting things about Web three is that community feel. I think we. We kind of forget about it sometimes, but then, you know, in in tough times, we, it it kind of comes back up. I think it fuels both kind of our innovation and our growth in in a lot of ways. And so the way we've approached the space and the way I like to approach the space is, is just be part of that community, right? That's why we kind of have, you know, a quote unquote open door policy where you know, projects, you know, regardless, you know, they don't have to be part of our portfolio. They can come to us and, you know, they can knock on our door, ask for a little bit of feedback, share what they're doing. I think it's really important that, you know, whatever role you play in this space that, you know, you be part of that space as an active member and an active contributor.
0: Mm-hmm. And before we go more details into that, uh, I'd like to know more about, so about you, what did you do before? Uh, what's kind of your background? How did you come in crypto and gaming, you know?
1: So I have kind of an uh, an interesting background, if if I may say so myself. Uh, I came from uh, TradFi, uh, so I started out in quant equities. Um, then, and and that was when I first heard uh, kind of about crypto, and I you know you know I had friends who were playing around with with Bitcoin. Uh, I went into uh, international. Uh, management consulting and worked in Europe for quite a bit. Um quite in a few places in Europe really. Uh I then spent some time in IT. Uh and I have a background in both economics and computer science. And so I spent some time uh in IT. And that's how I kind of got into blockchain, you know, fully. Uh, I got brought in for a fintech project and I kinda had to, you know, as they now say, uh dive down the rabbit hole. And that was kind of a very eye-opening experience for me, because I think when I was hearing about blockchain, it was oftentimes in context of how much you can earn, kind of prices, and, you know, it kind of sounded like speculation and wasn't as exciting, but when I got to interact with the tech and with everything that was being built and with the developers who were building it, um, that was really, really exciting and I think opened my eyes to uh, the potential of everything that was was. Was possible here. Um, I then, you know, spent some time as as head of research uh, at Crypto Briefing. Um, that's when I know mm-hmm. but that's that's where my uh, partners also come from. My partners uh, co-founded uh, Crypto Briefing. Uh, I, as I said, I was ha- uh, head of research there. I also spent some time as uh, lead analyst at DappRadar, and mm-hmm. so, you know, I have quite uh, kind of a diverse background where it comes to the analytics side. I've done fundamental analysis, data analysis, equities on chain. And uh, my partners come from kind of a, a very diverse uh, entrepreneurship background. And I think that this uh, kind of hybrid background is what allows us to uh, provide a little bit of guidance for uh both our portfolio teams and kind of the space uh, kind of early stage teams in the space as a whole. uh, We very consciously wanted to um, work with early stage teams Mm -hmm. because what we saw was, you know, we saw a lot of capital coming into the space, but we wanted to, you know, to also see a little bit more kind of support for early stage teams. And I think that, you know, we're able to give enough background to provide a little bit of tangible guidance for teams. We also put together, Uh, a nice mentorship network around uh, Mm -hmm. Sanctuary Capital uh, with quite a few experts in in various uh, specific fields. And so we're kind of also able to, to, to utilize uh, their, their expertise and their knowledge. Um, And I think that's, that's incredibly important. I think that comes back to kind of that community aspect, you know, being able to, to, to lean on different um, experts and different participants, no matter kind of how far, uh, or, or how far they are?
0: Okay, I see. So you, yeah, your background is uh, computer science, finance, fintech, and uh, gaming. So you came to it uh, as you went. So pretty much everything needed for 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 your position, right? Uh, and so you said that you co co-fo- are co-founder of Sanctuary Capital. Uh, yeah. I think one thing that might be interesting is to learn more about how this started. Uh, I probably you cannot say everything, but so you, you started it with uh, um, someone that worked with you at uh, Crypto Briefing and uh, Crypto Brief sorry, uh, you're a co-founder. So how did you start the fund? Did you raise capital? Uh, how much did you raise, if you can say? How how did that all start? You know.
1: So you know, as I mentioned, um, the the partners uh, most of them come from Crypto Briefing, and yes. we. Uh, we love working with, with early stage teams and, you know, we spend quite a bit of time, uh, especially, especially my partners on the, on the media side, but we mm-hmm. always kind of wanted, you know, we had that vision in the back of our heads to kind of step into, uh, an early stage, uh, investment role. And so when the opportunity kind of presented itself or crypto briefing was, uh, in, in a good enough place, um, we, you know, we, we jumped on this opportunity. It was always something that, you know, we kind of dreamed about, uh, in the back of our heads, we, uh, you know, invested, uh, on the private side, uh, but it's a little bit different than, uh, you know, having something more formal and something structured that, uh, you're kind of able to utilize. We do have LPs. Um, Mm -hmm. we are, you know, at this point, I would say, 30 million I might be rounding a little bit there uh mm-hmm. we're we're a small fund mm-hmm. but you know for us you know the important thing that we focused on is you know being able to closely interact with founders I think that's the mm-hmm. one thing that we really missed on on a crypto briefing side and I'm sure uh those of you have been around the space for quite a bit of time you remember Kind of ICO review days, uh, Andre Crony's code reviews, kind of a lot of the fundamental analysis, and it was fantastic. It was a great uh, place. And, You know, I really uh, vibe with the ethos of being of bringing transparency and clarity to the space. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, we were still a little bit moved from the from the actual um, startup world. Uh, we kind of yeah. were looking at it from a bird's eye view in, in some ways, even though we were doing a lot of the fundamental analysis. But you know, we really missed working with teams and being able to to provide a little bit of help because from the way we perceive it, you know, the way Mm -hmm. we try to see ourselves as we are kind of another partner for the founding team. And so, you know, we feel we can um, kind of improve their chances. You know, startup world is very, hmm, it's a very risky business in the sense that, you know, the the statistics are such that, you know, unfortunately a lot of startups fail and, where we see ourselves as being able to improve the odds for for the teams right being able to steer them away maybe from some uh from some mistakes or you know help them through some challenges kind of you know provide provide options provide ideas uh kind of be there for them um and then yeah like i said improve their chances um, for success
0: you know I, I understand, and I've been I've been witnessing what you guys are doing, and you seem really involved. At least you know what you're what you're talking about for sure. Uh, so you mentioned uh, you have a thirty million dollars fund or something around that. Uh, uh, so you have deployed uh, some of your capital already, mm-hmm. I, I guess. And I will go more in details about what was intriguing to me in your portfolio. Uh, so uh, how much do you still have to deploy and? You know, how is your strategy regarding that? Do you have uh, um, like, do you decide, okay, we need to make this amount of investment in quarter one, quarter two, quarter three, or is, is per, uh, per cases uh, basis? How do you, how do you decide?
1: So we have about half, I'd say that we're, we're still want to deploy,
0: <laughs> capable mm-hmm. of
1: deploying. Um, mm-hmm. We are not limiting ourselves to a particular deployment schedule. Uh, And I think that's very important within our space because the space is prone to ups and downs and Mm -hmm. also prone to hype cycles where um, valuations and product quality doesn't necessarily go together uh, as -hmm. often. And so we don't want to be in a position where we have to deploy because, well, we must deploy Um, or we're forcing ourselves to deploy in a particular schedule, what we look for is fantastic teams. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have the ability, the way we're structured, to be patient. Um, You know, sometimes, you know, we we might deploy, you know, on on one project in a given time scale, another time do three. It's it's a matter of uh, doing research and uh, finding the right teams and being able to help them out, right? Um, It's not... um, we're, we're, we try and we, then that's kind of one of the benefits of having, of being kind of on the smaller side where it comes to fund size. Yeah. We're not, we're not limiting to kind of a particular deployment schedule, if you will.
0: Yeah. So, and you're among the first investors, like very early you come in with projects. So, you, you write checks uh, like uh, from, I don't know, 500K to one million, two million dollars. What is the, 1.5, yep. 1.5. Okay, so and, and you like to be the first investor or seed investors, so or probably after angel or something like that, but very early. Um, okay, so I've I've looked a bit in your in your portfolio. I've I've seen so different kind of projects. Mostly, I think mostly it's, it's gaming. It's your main uh, thesis, right? Crypto or web three gaming.
1: So the way we're we're doing, and if you look at our portfolio, um, it's not necessarily what you would expect from a metaverse and gaming focused, um, yeah. entity, because the way we define it is on a vertical scale, right? So mm-hmm. we say metaverse and gaming is, is kind of a layered thing. Uh, on the bottom you have infrastructure, right? All of the yeah. things that you need for, for metaverse to function. And so we've, you know, we've deployed and we continue to deploy into infrastructure, of uh, mm-hmm. you know, things like distributed storage, distributed computation, uh, things even like CDNs, RPCs, things that you know may not sound as exciting when you think about games, but mm-hmm. that are critical to yeah. functionality of those games. Uh, especially as we kind of delve further into the distributed future, uh, we look at you know creator platforms because uh, you know for us uh, you know we see the digital universe is made up of content, right? Like that's content's king, and so we do look at, at, at those things. Um, we'll look at, you know, games themselves uh, Mm -hmm. where, uh, you know, where the, you know, because we look at games as kind of individual worlds within that digital universe. Right. And so uh, we're quite excited about quite a few of the gaming worlds. And as we're seeing the space develop and the type of teams that are coming in, it's, it's becoming more and more exciting, but then there's also things uh, like distribution, tooling, publishing, Mm -hmm. there's quite a few things on that vertical scale. And so we're trying to, and build a portfolio with that full vertical in mind and such that in such a way that creates kind of very nice internal synergies as well.
0: Okay. I see. Uh, And so one thing that might be interesting as well is uh, from, from, for many builders perspective is that, okay, you, so you come in, you invest as an early stage investors, you're going to put a lot of effort and work into, into helping the, the company, you know, take off. so, You invest in equity uh, and also sometimes a mix with tokens and even NFTs. Uh, So Mm -hmm. before discussing more in detail these investment vehicles, uh, I'd like to know. um, So when you do that, how how is this uh, structured exactly? You know, so do you, if if it's a gaming project, they're probably going to have token and NFT Mm -hmm. uh, and equity. So do you always require to have all elements into one deal or how do you do it?
1: So it's a very kind of company deal specific process, but on Mm -hmm. general terms, it always comes down to the team. And and I'll try to kind of explain that. What's Mm -hmm. important to us is that we are aligned with the team we're backing, right? So I'll give you an example, like in the case of a studio, right? We Mm want to know that we're backing that team. And that you know whatever they do down the line, we can just be fully behind them uh, all the way, right? And so mm, that's that's where we want exposure across instruments, such that whatever happens, we're always aligned with that team, um, mm-hmm. and that's where where we we try to position kind of ourselves uh, in in those situations. It again, it varies uh team by team um because uh some teams need a little bit, you know, of of of, con- of guidance in, in those conversations and understanding how to think through things. Uh some teams uh you know a little bit flexible, uh some teams, you know, haven't thought about certain problems that can come up down the line, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. and depending on the business model, uh, you know, certain certain instruments may make sense, certain, Instruments may not make sense. Uh, You know, it's for, you know, so it's, it's very case specific, but the Mm -hmm. guiding principle is always, we need to be fully aligned with the team we're backing.
0: And as it may scare, you know, some projects or even their community, when VCs are involved, you're always thinking, okay, so how much does it get? What is their unlock schedule? What is their exit strategy? So I saw in your portfolio, I was especially interested in guilds, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I so saw you have different. Uh, uh, I didn't know actually you had uh, YGG. Uh, you invest in YGG. You have a, uh, a Indonesian guild, I think. Uh, I forgot the name. RQQ something like that. RRQ. RRQ. Yeah, RQ. You have Ancientate which is a, a, a Vietnamese uh, uh, guild. So, uh, what what is and maybe what was because maybe it has changed. What was your thesis regarding uh, guilds? And why did you decide to make uh, investment into guilds are specific to a special region? You know, Philippines, Indonesia, uh, Vietnam.
1: Uh, we also we also went into Europe as well. We have a AMG uh, that's yeah, yeah. Uh, in uh, focuses on Central and Eastern Europe. I think so. One, this is kind of a dynamic space, and so guilds themselves, you know, are constantly changing and evolving but I think the way we look at it is guilds facilitate um, user onboarding and Mm -hmm. user-gamer interactions. Um, Yes, I think there's, especially for traditional gamers, when they first hear guild, their initial thoughts are not representative of what guilds in Web3 currently are. But I think there is kind of a, a similar ethos in that they are acting as facilitators of both, Uh, kind of gamer traffic, and uh, economic kind of capital traffic. Now, we have seen that with uh, kind of play to earn going kind of up and then going down that, you know, guilds are now trying to kind of find their place and different guilds have a different strategy for that. But we have seen that the strong guilds are Mm -hmm. um, kind of finding their finding their footing in this kind of new 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 space uh as it again as it evolves so so do they uh but i think the core principle uh is still there where they are they are facilitators and we do see that the space is still very fractured and they are kind of you know we see that with traditional game you know there's there are localizations and there are kind of yeah. core uh you know ideas principles kind of certain things that are specific to a given region. And so being able to uh, access those gaming communities, I think is really important uh, for any game uh, looking to uh, come into the space. Now, while right now we're starting to hear, and I think this is great that, you know, games are looking at, uh, you know, the bigger, the broader traditional gaming market. And so people aren't looking at Web3 gamers. And I think that's smart. Mm -hmm. We should stop calling you know, Web2 gamers, Web3 gamers, you know, gamers are gamers. Um, and so I think that's smart, but still at the same time, we do have a Web3 community that's a little bit more open uh, to receiving uh, Web3 content and can act as kind of your your initial users, initial testers, kind of provide a little bit of feedback, but also these uh, pockets um, can service as kind of your onboarding uh, vessels for Web3 gaming. Uh, there's quite a bit in terms of both kind of eSports tournament content creation that uh, that we see kind of guilds facilitating here and there. Uh, there's quite mm-hmm. a bit of things that still need to be, let's say, uh, developed, uh, things that need to be improved that we see kind of guilds understanding and and, and working on because of how close they are with gamers and mm-hmm. being able to uh, have a representative, uh, kind of a guild representative in all of these key regions, I think mm-hmm. is uh, quite useful, uh, both uh, kind of for our gaming teams and our portfolio as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that, that's how we're currently approaching it, I would say.
0: So is this part of your value proposition also as an investor for a game? you say okay we have guilds that can onboard users from all these different regions and that is something that you can leverage uh, when you say okay so we're going to going to invest in this game and we will be able to connect you with these guilds and you know onboard many many users for you that so gives you a lot of power so maybe the, the the guild is of course an investment that you're you're trying to you know maximize uh, um, return from in a couple years i believe but it gives a lot of strength and power to your whole portfolio.
1: I would I would caution with anybody who promises uh, certain things, right? Uh, yeah. There is, they definitely do strengthen what we're able to do in terms of um, kind of bridging, uh, mm-hmm. bridging communities uh, to games that we're looking to bring into our portfolio, and, and we're definitely kind of very you know very open and, and proud of uh, the the guilds that are. Uh, in our portfolio and what they've been building and, you know, capable of doing. Uh, I would caution against anybody who says, hey, we promise you to be able to onboard mm-hmm. X number of users. Um, yeah. I'm very right. I'm very concerned whenever, like, promises like this get made um, because it puts the guild team in an awkward position. It puts you in an awkward position. Uh, yeah. We, you know, you never want to force a game onto a guild, right? Uh, you know, true. those... Those are, you know, our portfolio teams, we support them on, we've, you know, pledged our support to them first, we don't want to, (laughs) they're not service providers to us in that sense, you know, Uh, and so, you know, we do, however, you know, rely on them also, you know, for certain, you know, understanding of kind of gamer, gamer sentiment, gamer realities, right, you know, Mm -hmm. in the same sense that we see ourselves as part of their team, we, uh, we try to use their experience and their knowledge and their uh, their kind of understanding of realities to better mm-hmm. understand what makes sense when we're evaluating uh, teams, games, and so forth.
0: I see. Uh, you've been, I mean, you're pretty involved with the whole a tournament space as well in crypto gaming. I remember you mentioned last time in the Tavern episode that you believe that in 2023, there will be a tournament with a prize pool of seven figure or eight figure? I think you said seven. So
1: you said bold uh, prediction. So I went bold because <laughs> yeah, yeah, <I> like this. <laughs> that's the point, right? You just go bold. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think that it's it's not, it, it's not a little bit easier to be uh, skeptical of, uh, of kind of what we'll do in the short term. So uh, I, I went bold. I don't know if that we'll reach um, those heights quite yet. Um, but we we are quite excited about esports and mm-hmm. the potential for esports uh, within within the gaming space. I wouldn't classify esports as something that's hey this is what it can do for Web three. I would more say that you know what Web three brings um, can unlock some of the potential of esports. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a an easy journey because from 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 kind of all of our conversation, everything we see, you know, esports teams, you know, have a you know, it's not an easy business. That's one. Uh, two, they require a certain level of uh, game quality and and, mm-hmm. and gaming type quality, right? Like it needs to be um, visually appealing in certain ways to their particular audiences, and at the same time, there needs to be kind of an audience. Um, I think. Uh, there is a temptation to see esports as a way to onboard uh, audiences into Web3, and so mm-hmm. hey, if we set up tournaments, uh, you know, if you build it, they will come. I think time and time again, we've seen an in industry that on its own is not enough,
0: yeah. and so
1: I think that there is a lot of excitement, but as with everything else in our space, we need to exercise patience. Right? It's we, we we are building fast, but you know if 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 you expect too much too quickly, you're kind of hindering the process as well. And so we do see uh, quite a bit of infrastructure being built. We do see the first tournaments being set up, uh, and and you know we're, there's quite a bit of engagement now. But mm. you know we it's it's a bit of a, a stretch to say that hey that you know simply by having you know an esports tournament you know, our next FPS is, you know, going to start, you know, reaching Call of Duty, uh, yeah. you know, level <laughs> of audience, uh, you know, I think we need to have more games that um, are of that sort of, a you know, level of appeal and kind of are able to bring about their audiences. And then what Web3 kind of infrastructure brings will unlock some of the potential, both in terms of kind of efficiency, uh, mm-hmm. you know, things like, you know, automated payouts, for instance, to, uh, you know, content creation potential. Uh, because, you know, as, as we always go back, you know, to the concept, you know, metaverse is a digital universe. Everything in it is content. Um, yeah. And I think that the, the digital ownership component really unlocks uh, some potential for, for user-generated content. Really excited about UGC and what it can bring. And, you know, esports, <coughs> excuse me, does does offer one avenue where where that can that can become pretty pretty incredible
0: yeah i mean i i agree with you even though we see that esports model is extremely challenged right now i mean the, the latest uh, ipo ipos news from last year you know we're supposed to be excited i've turned out pretty bad for esport and uh, and everybody's questioning you know what's what's next is it the substantial uh, is it a sustainable business model? I, I, I remember, I think Mark Cuban said as well that they invested in eSports uh, teams and they cannot see the monetization going right. So, you know, t- you, you think that Web3 in crypto can solve the eSports problem before eSports solves itself and saves itself?
1: I think that Web3 should not be... I think I was looking at... Um, um, kind of summary charts uh, for gaming mm-hmm. a little while back, and I saw web in blockchain as kind of a categorization of a business model. I think it was something like that, and I think that's kind of a, a fundamental issue with how Web2 sees us and how we're positioning ourselves to kind of traditional traditional gaming audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, Web3 is is should be at least part of the tech stack. It's not a business model. It can unlock business models. But mm-hmm. when you start looking at blockchain as a business model, that's when you start seeing things as, hey, you know, we're gonna, you're gonna introduce blockchain and try to monetize off of that, right? Not of something that you know blockchain unlocks as a utility or as a functionality, but let's just monetize off of the token. You get a lot of uh, kind of challenging things uh, in the space because of, of that mm-hmm. particular approach. I think Web three can unlock quite a bit in terms of digital digital merchandise and digital asset creation. Uh, mm-hmm. We already see, you know, within the creator space, how um, the, the the amount of interesting development within the fashion space, right? If you look at kind of traditional sports, there's quite a mm-hmm. bit of kind of engagement and, and let's be frank, monetization off of, you know, attendance, off of merchandise sales, off of yeah. kind of a lot of, you know, Items being sold, jerseys, bats, you know, basketballs, yeah. all of this stuff. With digital, uh, with digital space, right? With with esports, it's a little bit more challenging, right? If you buy yeah. kind of a, a piece of digital merchandise, well, you know, what next, right? And so, digital yeah. collectibles have value on its own, but I think as the metaverse gets built out, we can push it, right? If you can start, you know, if you get, you know, a, a jersey of your you kind know, of favorite esports team you can start wearing it in a game, right? That pushes this a little bit, right? If, you know, mm-hmm. there's provenance attached to your, you know, assets, your tickets, it's another thing. More so, we're starting to see uh digital events of bigger and bigger scale, right? You know, mm-hmm. we're, you know, we can definitely visualize now uh the potential for esporting events where you're actually attending and you're you can vibe with that crowd and you know, as, as the metaverse grows, the number of services that, you know, are synonymous with what we expect with, let's say, sporting events will grow. And so there will be more, there will be more kind of business model opportunities for Mm -hmm. kind of both the esports teams and surrounding businesses around them. But I think the metaverse needs to get there. There's quite a bit of, building both on the infrastructure side and the content side that needs to be made for us to be able to kind of actualize that reality. But I think Web3 does provide quite a bit of tooling and infrastructure for that reality to be possible.
0: Okay. And, um, I like your opinion on, on, uh, on three different projects that I think are currently leading the whole narrative in our industry. And I don't think Axie is one of them, uh, at least for now. Right mm-hmm. now, I see we have a, a like the top three that I feel, but that's from my perspective. The, all the content I follow and everything are a, a Illuvium, mm-hmm. a Limit Break, and Board Ape. Uh, so these are uh, the three major projects right now that creates a lot of hype. Etc. So Axie Infinity as well, but in, in another kind of trend because we feel that they're they they were amazing already and now they're on a downtrend downtrend and you know they might do something but they are so uh, dependent on on everything they've built and experimented on that it seems really hard for them to, to to get out of of their position. But with so these three other projects and they are mm-hmm. all taking a different approach and I'm very excited by all of their approach. So do you agree with me or do you have another name or another opinion?
1: I wouldn't take them off the list. Uh, I do think that they are quite bold in their approach Mm -hmm. and, uh, they have quite a, quite a vision. And I think that that's very important. They've been building, you know, in their particular directions, um, for, for quite some time. Um, I do think they're kind of all unified, in the sense that it's kind of a, you know, let's build a community and then kind of build things for that community, which, Mm -hmm. you know, which has a lot of merit, right? You know, you're, you're building a product that your, your, your user base wants. Um, I don't know that within the gaming space Mm -hmm. that you can kind of have them be the representatives of what's happening right because they are Mm -hmm. you know as big as their as big as their vision is it is still kind of niche in the sense of what the gaming what the broader gaming space represents right Mm -hmm. for instance um you know we have seen especially towards the second half of last year kind of the call for you know a big fps title right Mm -hmm. and what that means and how do we how do we find our, you know, as, as a community, how do we find our way to a big FPS title, right? And uh, I think that, you know, a, a few other names would pop up there, right? If you're looking at more kind of genre specific things, right? If you're looking at MOBAs and, and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. On the other spectrum, I think uh, and it might be in kind of a contrarian view here, uh, but I often hear Axie get discounted in conversations like this and I mm-hmm. like to bring it up yeah. particularly because it gets discounted um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where Axie had an enormous number of challenges. Um, I think what we see is Axie broke through and kind of try to validate a number of theses and naturally, you know, first I wouldn't say first to try, but they were the fit first to like take a big swing at it. Yeah. And so they they were the first to really, you know, face those challenges and others got to learn off of their, off of their stumbles. Now, mm-hmm. at the same time, Sky SkyMavis, despite everything that happened, didn't go away, and they've continued to build. And one of the things that has been quite interesting is their approach to a gaming ecosystem, right? What we see happening with the Axie Builder program, with kind of Ronin, uh, is that they're proving out little, little theses or, you know, medium theses, right? For instance, you know, we've seen quite a few blockchain ecosystems kind of start out with with DeFi, right? And that become mm-hmm. the hub and then everything kind of builds around it. Whereas in Ronin went game first and then we started to see a little bit of DeFi, right? Where, you know, mm-hmm. Ronin popped up. And I think that's a, a, a very underappreciated but a very important point. And I think that we're, as we're now starting to see a lot more tooling and applications being built around NFT liquidity and around kind of tokens and uh, around uh, kind of curation for game assets. I think we'll see a little bit more of that. And as they're building their ecosystem, I think we're seeing Splinterlands kind of trying somewhat similar thing with you know their second game. I think those projects that have been around for quite some time and are kind of trying to build their way out of their earliest struggles, uh, I think mm-hmm. they're not to be overlooked. Um, kind of reminds me a little bit of, I, I think it's, it's too bold of a comparison, but it kind of reminds me a little bit of how Ethereum Continuously got discounted. There was always some new awesome chain, and then we're like, "Okay, Ethereum's done. Let's think." Of-. And and Ethereum kept building and plugging along. And you know, so many years later, <laughs> here we still have Ethereum as one of the dominant ecosystems. And so I think it's important to look to the people who are building, what mm-hmm. they're building, and how the community responds to it. To this day, Axie still has one of the highest monthly active user counts. Um, mm-hmm. And so, when we're looking at game-specific narratives, I think it's important to look at where the gamers are and mm-hmm. what they're responding to. I think that uh, the kind of the three names you've you've built are taking bold swings at kind of different community onboarding approaches, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's important. And I think that's huge, especially you know uh, when uh, when we talk about uh, board apes, right? When we're we're talking about those first big PFP communities that are starting to actualize into massive ecosystems. And what does that Mm -hmm. mean for uh, kind of community engagement, content creation, how that morphs into something bigger? Uh, Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't discount kind of (laughs) those early teams that have stuck around and have continued building. Um, So I think for me, the narratives are, you know, if you're talking about kind of I would say ecosystem development Mm -hmm. approach. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think those names that you said are definitely on the list, but I am very curious about people trying to actualize that interoperability approach where you have a multi-game ecosystem. We see a lot of that with uh, casuals and hyper-casuals where, Mm -hmm. you know, you start Mm -hmm. to see kind of arcade-like approaches, but, you know, game, you know, Game ecosystems where you'll have multiple, you know, fully formed kind of maybe mid core games. Um, I think those will become very interesting because I think they'll be precursors to Mm -hmm. kind of cross IP collaboration and kind of cross game, kind of cross game ecosystem uh, collaboration. I think that was one of the things that people got excited about with gaming NFTs in the very beginning you know mm-hmm. if i have my assets here or my skins here my persona here can i take it to another game um, mm-hmm. i think we sh- i think we have teams right now that are working on some of that stuff and it might take some time but i think those experiences are are quite important and yeah that's i guess, I guess that's that that's that's my, my my little caveat there i guess
0: all right all right fair enough so without without it being financial advice if you had to be <laughs> more bullish on one of the four projects then which one would it be?
1: Um, I think it's, I think it's hard to bet against Yuga uh, Labs. Uh, uh, I think yeah. that they have done so much right that yeah. with all of their challenges, you, you have to respect kind of the yeah. track record at this point. And, you know, you, you like the fact that they have a bold vision, you like the fact that they have so many, so many things going uh, at the same time. And they have been able to, through, through certain ups and downs to really capitalize and grow the community. Um, mm-hmm. And they've been able to leverage it um, in the right ways, uh, you know, where it comes to, you know, testing certain hypotheses, uh, or kind of galvanizing uh, certain uh, certain uh, happenings. It's uh, it's been very curious to see uh, the broader uh, kind of metaverse vision. You know whether we're not talking about other side, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's quite a bit of challenges involved there. That's a very bold <laughs> that's a very bold swing, yeah. but given their track record and how much they've done right up to this point through all of the challenges the mm-hmm. industry has faced. You have to yeah. give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, and the ecosystem has grown big enough where yeah. they're almost, it feels like they're almost getting to the point where you can start seeing network effects. Right? It's yeah, very.
0: It's the biggest IP. It's the biggest IP that came out uh, in, in the whole like crypto industry, metaverse, gaming, like it's a, NFT. It's the biggest IP. It's That's a legitimate
1: incredible. IP. I think every, almost every game talks about, Hey, we're going to have an IP and we're going to do, we're going to do X, Y, Z. Easier
0: said than done for sure. These
1: guys have actually gotten to a point where this is a legitimately valuable IP, uh, and they're doing things with it, right? They have not, you know, as quote unquote, rested on their laurels. They're, they're, Mm they're pushing the envelope continuously. I, I think anybody in this space, you want to see them succeed because this mm-hmm. is, this is the point where, you know, yeah. you, you know, as they succeed, we're all succeed type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if, if I had to pick one of the four, <laughs> uh, I think I would, uh, definitely Yuga labs is not investment advice, but Yuga labs is definitely one to watch.
0: Okay. Perfect. Uh, okay. I have two last questions. Uh, one, is uh, if you have you have one line, one sentence, to describe to us so far, the best tokenomics you think would work for a wet three game in one sentence.
1: I think the way I would phrase it is the best economies are adaptable, dynamic economies, um, and mm-hmm. I'll I'll try to explain that that <laughs> that sentence right now. As we go to the biggest difference for me from going from a traditional gaming economy to an open economy. Is who has control? Mm-hmm. Um, in a in a traditional gaming economy, the, pu- the the publisher developer they had ultimate control over everything that happened. If things had if things go wrong, if you know things need to be rebalanced, inflation ran too high, they had unilateral control over things, and they basically didn't have to answer to anybody. They were the ultimate rulers of their universe. As we move closer and closer to uh, open economies we're starting to kind of approach traditional economic realities there's a reason why kind of games are uh often kind of a good proxy for kind of trying to test certain economic theories um Mm -hmm. that means that you need to think about levers economic levers not unilateral hey we're going to wipe this or add this but levers uh in your economy for reacting to as things happen models on paper uh look amazing but then life mm-hmm. happens right and yeah. so really the economies to me that are uh, most functional are the ones that you know founders think about levers mm-hmm. ahead of time where they they're able to react to the realities of what they're seeing right where these these models are adjustable right if you if you think about you know a lot a lot of these kind of management, Approaches is starting to get more and more compared to kind of the federal reserve, central banks, um, and, and they have levers right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, uh, you know, there's lots of arguments over, uh, one token economy approach two token economy approach. Do we need, you know, external tokens whatsoever. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, if something is hard set and you're in an open economy reality, where. The publisher no longer has the unilateral ability to just reset redo re, reshuffle as as they see fit um, mm-hmm. and you don't have those levers built in i think it's going to be challenging right i think from that perspective games need to look to uh, kind of the experience of early kind of blockchains and there's mm-hmm. been a lot of work uh kind of done and written around uh dao governance and Kind of managing complex ecosystems. uh There's a lot of work to still be done, but I think ultimately we need to stop thinking about kind of game economies in a in a static way. Uh, they're they're dynamic. Yeah. Li- the worlds are dynamic living organisms. The That's economies true. need to reflect
0: that. Because so there is no simple equations yet. It's not like do this and it will work. It's still like okay, it's going to be hard. <laughs> you need to need to adapt and. And would you say like the best advice is do not do things that will, uh, like stay forever. Do not, uh, put yourself in a situation where you cannot come back and you're just doomed because of your, of your tokenomics. How would you say, like, keep, keep uh, the dynamic and, you know, adaptability.
1: The, the importance is there, there are equations, right? Math is mm-hmm. still math, but the importance mm-hmm. is to understand the variables. And mm-hmm. how these variables respond to uh, to different kind of stimuli, right? And so, what do you do to affect every individual variable? And how does that affect the outcome of your equation, right? Yeah. And I think that's that's the most important thing. Do not do not assume that things will play out as you've written it into your mm-hmm. model, right? Like assume the unexpected. Right, and how can you react to to different occurrences? Uh, I think that you know, as as we move further down the line, and we have interconnected worlds, right? There's quite a a bit being built around interoperability. I think we may see world uh, situations where you know an asset in your game is being mined in another game, Mm -hmm. right? And you need to understand exchange rates right for between different worlds and how do you affect that? And you won't be able to unilaterally wipe something uh, or, or inflate something because it will affect another game, right? You may see currency wars between gaming worlds. Um, and I think that, you know, I think that's maybe, <laughs> I, I wouldn't expect that to happen in the next few months. Uh, mm-hmm. I wouldn't maybe expect that to happen even this year, but I think that the games that, and we're hearing that, right? games building for decades for, you know, yeah. they want these games to be massive living organisms. Well, you have to build the foundational components and the economic health of a world is is one of its kind of foundational components. You mm-hmm. need to build it so that it can evolve with the world and your, and your founder vision.
0: Okay, fantastic. Uh, I will ask you my very last question. It's one question I call the meta question. I'm asking it to every single person I interview here uh and it's the following um if life is a game and you can go up to level 100 what is your current level
1: i'm gonna go with my age and kind of go with like around 30 uh and that's kind of in the hope where i can still kind of grow and develop i really hope that i have not peaked (laughs) and -hmm. that there is still a lot of room to grow and uh i you know every day that you know i get to you know interact with our amazing founders and kind of with the space as a whole every day is learning mm-hmm. and i think that's one of the exciting things that draws people to this space in particular every day you're learning um and i hope i got a lot more learning to do and that <laughs> i have not peaked. <laughs> so uh, I, I hope i'm somewhere still at the, at, at the beginning
0: <laughs> all right so level, level 30 and uh, how do you win the game
1: um I, th- I think this is one of those games where you just got to keep surviving. Uh this is, you know, okay. it's
0: <laughs> you I like, I like this the, the
1: goal is not to die.
0: <laughs> goal uh, is if not to die, okay. I take it. Interesting. Interesting. So not to die ever or not I mean, to die soon?
1: We are <laughs> uh, as, as, as given the realities of our game right now, I think the mm-hmm. goal is to survive as long as you can. Um uh, mm-hmm. and ultimately, you know, if if I'm being less selfish here <laughs> uh, to, to, to provide as much, you know, to do as much good in, in that yeah. abstract, you know, whatever that means to you way to as many people as you can around you. Uh, I think that's, um, it's not, sometimes we struggle, sometimes people around us struggle. And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's part of the good, the good side of the human nature we were able to and we have the intrinsic desire i think to help others around us um i don't think this is a game that you can outright win i think this is a game that you can just you go as far as you go and you enjoy it as much as you can and you you see what happens on the other side
0: all right that's that's a fair that's a good answer you know uh, survive as much as you can and bonus points if you make people happy around you so that's a, that's a good way to phrase it. I, I like it. I, I pretty much agree with you. Uh, okay. So that's it for today. It was really a pleasure, interesting, and fun to discuss with you. Ilya today, I guess the best way to connect with you is we're on Twitter or LinkedIn,
1: Twitter, or LinkedIn, email, you got, we're, we're, we're open everywhere. If you have, if you're building something, if you have questions, mm-hmm. if you want some feedback, like I said, we have a, uh, the virtual open door policy uh if you if you see our contacts uh you can you can reach out don't hesitate there are no no silly questions um reach out
0: okay you you heard uh you heard ilia so it was a pleasure i will see you next time for a new interview or a new episode of the tavern bye bye thank you for having it was me a